Hi. Today we're back talking about troubleshooting OFDMA. We'll be focusing on DRW. I'm Brady Volp, founder of NimbleThis and the Volp Firm. This is our show on all things DOCSIS. With us today is John Downey, CMTS Technical Lead at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back. How are things? Going good. You know, OFDMA is gaining a lot more ground and uh, providing a lot more upstream speed. Yeah, we had a great episode uh, a couple months ago that really got a lot of attention and really hit it really hit a lot of people that were suffering from issues. We've got a lot of great feedback on it, so we're doing another issue on this again. And uh, we're going to start off with DRW, Dynamic Range Window, because there's been some pretty interesting things about that, and I think we want to dive right into that. Uh, John, you've put together a nice slideshow on it that I think we can kind of jump right into and cover some topics on. So. Let's uh, let's go ahead and pull that up here. Um, so we got this slideshow. I'll try to, you know, we need to make sure that all of our uh, podcast listeners can also understand some of the content in here. So we'll have to enumerate that. Uh, jumping into it, John. Downstream so, D31 upstream OFDMA power level high points. Yeah, so DRW, you know, dynamic range window is a 12 dB range in modem transmit levels, meaning when a modem registers, it uh, does upstream bonding, and it might have something called a TCS, uh, transmit channel set, of, say, four upstream channels, four single-carrier qualms, all 6.4 megahertz wide. Because they are distributed across the spectrum by the 42 megahertz, we all know as RF engineers that at higher frequencies, there's more attenuation. Now, 5 to 42 is not so bad, right? It's pretty tight. Um, but when you look at the upstream five spans of cable, your drop cable, node plus five, uh, temperature effects, you know, the channel that's higher in frequency is going to see more attenuation. So the modem has to make up for that. There's no upstream AGC in amplifiers. There's downstream AGC, automatic gain control, but there's no upstream. Our upstream AGC is all based on the cable modem CMTS doing long loop level control. CMTS wants to see zero by default, and the cable modem is directed and told to jack its levels up or turn its levels down based on that plus or minus one from zero. And the long loop uh, level the control is that, that concept where when the CMTS is seeing that zero dBm receive level that you're talking about, if the, if the cable modem or if, the, if the, basically the gain or loss between the cable modem and the CMTS changes, if that level coming in to the CMTS from the cable modem changes from zero dBmV, that long loop level control that you're talking about is basically the CMTS talking back to the cable modem and telling the cable modem to adjust its transmit power. Correct. And, and it's funny, some people, as an RF person, you would say, well, if I put padding in, it'll lower the level, right? So, no, actually, it's the opposite. If you put padding in, the CMTS sees lower level and tells the cable modem to turn its levels up. So it's kind of backwards, right? Right. <laughs> You're putting in padding and making the modem transmit hotter. Yeah, and normally we tell people to put that padding in in order to get the cable modems to transmit higher if the cable modems are transmitting too lower. I think we've covered that many, many times. And my preference, by the way, yeah, my preference is 48 dBmV plus or minus 3 
if I could get that transmit window that tight. Right. I know in reality, RF design and the cable plant, you can have some modems at 35 and other modems at 55. But I would like to see modem transmit have a bell curve that's really tight, centered about 48 dBmV if I could. Mm-hmm. And, and it's possible with the right design and right type of taps and stuff like that, which we'll talk about. So this DRW is what is the transmit level difference between all those RF channels from a single modem? So if a modem has four single carrier qualms, one's at 40 and the other upstream channel is at 38, that's 2 dB a tilt coming from the modem. That's 2 dB out of the 12 dB that's allowed. So that is a 12 dB window. What I find ironic is that 12 dB DRW was specified in DOCSIS 3.0, which ends at 85 megahertz. We now go to 204 megahertz for DOCSIS 3.1, and that DRW hasn't changed. It's still 12 dB. So, so what's wrong with the tilt coming out of the modem, though? And, and you said 2 dB tilt coming out of the modem. Is it actually tilt out of the modem? Yeah, I mean, one channel is transmitting hotter than another channel. And it could be because of coax. So really, the cable modem levels are tilted. And it's not just pre-equalization within a channel. It's different channel levels. But what if you had a channel at 40, 40 megahertz and you had a 40-42 roll-off on all your diplex filters? Well, the modem is going to have to overcome all those diplex filter roll-offs all the way back to the CMTS. And you can see the modem say, oh, I need 45 dBmV. And all the other upstream frequencies, I only need 40. So now I have 5 dB of tilt coming out of my cable modem, and it's not really tilt, right? It could be the first three channels, upstream 0, 1, 2, are all at 40, but then upstream 3 is in the roll-off, and then it has to transmit 45. So, so why, I mean, why is that channel transmitting at 45? You're, so that you're saying that the, the DOCSIS channel that's closest to the diplex filter, so that, and that diplex filter is at 42 megahertz, it's in the roll-off. So, you know, the diplex filter is rolling off. The channel's right at that roll-off reason. What, what's causing that cable modem to transmit higher? It's got, it's, it's got the roll-off, and most diplex filters are 40, not 42. Um, so it has the roll-off for two diplex filters per amplifier. Five amplifiers is 10 diplex filters. And then you have one diplex filter in a node. Add it all up. Now that channel that's centered right about 40 megahertz that kind of goes into 42 the pre-equalization is going to have to clean it up, and the level itself is going to have to jack it back up to take over the attenuation or make up for the attenuation of all those diplex voters. So what's the impact to the end subscriber? Does it, I mean, uh, is that with any? pre-EQ and the levels that are adequate, nothing, because the cable modem makes up for it. The problem is now I have 5 dB of, of range taken up out of my 12 dB of window, which is okay, But when we start looking at different channel widths, 85 megahertz, 204 megahertz, then this 12 dB window, we might start hitting it. And that's what I wanted to bring up is the DRW hasn't been quite an issue with DOCSIS 3.0 because most people are 42 megahertz. But it turns out there, I had this aha epiphany uh, about a month ago, looking at different channel widths and how DOCSIS 3.1 reports transmit level. Remember, DOCSIS 3.0 reports transmit level based on the channel width. Mm -hmm. So no big deal. But DOCSIS 3.1 specifies that the modem must report its transmit level based on 1.6. So regardless of the actual channel width, OFDMA, single carrier qualm, different channel widths, it has to report the level based on 1.6. So I started thinking about that, 
And I started drawing up some some diagrams of what could happen um, and some recommendations. So let's go back to the slides. Okay. And, um, and and as we're doing that, just to just to refresh, so DRW has been around with DOCSIS 3.0, but if you had a 42 megahertz plant, really it's, it's never been an issue because the 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 variation in transmit power has not probably been a problem for anyone to experience it. But DRW is something that is more problematic for any operator starting to look at 85 megahertz returns or 204 megahertz return. Um, 85 probably being more more on the near term for most operators. And then um, and then the question on the 1.6 megahertz, which is at the top of the slide, I think we can go there now. Uh, 1.6 megahertz equivalent bandwidth. So why are we doing that as a measurement power for OFDMA channels? And, and I think, I, and I think know, it'll take it away. Of, as part of Cable Labs and the spec and everyone that's been dealing with um, single carrier qualm, they say, man, we really need an apples to apples comparison. We need, now that we're going to OFDMA, that could be much bigger than 6.4 megahertz. We need a power level that is apples to apples. That's relative. And well, what's the lowest single carrier qualm channel width we support now? What's well, 1.6? We don't support the old, remember the 0 0.2, 0 0.4, and 0.8? Those were options. They're no longer available, right? The lowest channel width you can offer is 1.6. Personally, I wouldn't even use 1.6, but if you're using for a set-top box or something like that, maybe, maybe okay. But uh, to me, you're wasting money because you pay a license for an upstream channel, regardless of channel width or modulation. So using the biggest channel width and highest modulation is in your best interest to get your biggest bang for the buck. So uh, going back to the slides, we report DOCSIS 3.1 modems, regardless if you're doing OFDMA or single carrier qualm in the upstream, the transmit level gets reported in 1.6 equivalent. So if you were to say, all right, I have a 6.4 megahertz wide channel, and it's uh, it's a DOCSIS 3.0 modem, and it says it's transmitting 50 dBmV. As soon as you swap out that 3.0 modem with a 3.1 modem, that 50 dBmV will now report 44, because 6.4 divided by 1.6, 10 times a log, that's 10 times a log of four, which is 6 dB. Mm -hmm. So you have a correction of 6 dB. Now does Meaning that does that mean the that the modem saying, does that mean that the modem's actually transmitting higher? No, the modem will say it's transmitting 44, but in reality it's transmitting 50 for the whole 6.4 channel. You yes. have to now do your own correction factor to and get it, back to 30 reporting. So so what's the actual? I mean, what's the reality here if that so if if I put in that DOCSIS 3.1 modem um, is do I have to make any changes in my plant in order for that DOCSIS 3.1 modem to get back to the CMTS at the same level as a DOCSIS 3.0 modem, all things being equal? Nothing has changed except the reporting, and now you have the cosmetic issue of your OSS and your, your reporting structure and SNMP and all that saying that the modem is transmitting less. So you think it's a red flag. Right. When in reality, nothing's changed. All things are equal still. Yeah. It's just the way the things are reporting back. Yes. Yeah. And it's part of the spec. So, um, so in the, in the, we got some questions here uh, from Kai. Um, Kai, thanks for joining. And yes, DRW is our, is our subject today. So, you know, John, what does bad tilt exactly do on a grand scale? 
Um, I mean, I love math because it's a universal language. So we should be able to look at the math and figure out is this realistic or not, right? Look at the spectrum, look at the frequency, look at the coax, look at the temperature. And we should be able to look at it and say, this makes sense. Yeah, there's some tilt coming from the modem. Big deal. Um, the problem is when we hit that DRW of 12 dB, the modem might not register or it might not register in the upstream bonding group that you hoped it would. So instead of a four channel or eight channel upstream bonding or an OFDMA with upstream bonding, it might have been relegated to a smaller bonding group because the DRW violation said, no, you can't do it. So it doesn't even register properly. Now, and one, one observation that I've seen is if you have too much tilt, and, I, and I'll take the example where you talked about where that one channel is close to the roll-off band, close to the diplex filter, if as that modem keeps transmitting higher and higher because you're too close to the diplex filter, eventually that channel will drop offline for that modem, and that modem goes into partial mode. So, you know, if that modem's supposed to have four upstream channels and that, that one upstream channel is too close to the diplex filter, eventually that channel will reach maximum transmit level and then that channel will go offline. So instead of having four upstream channels, that modem will only have three upstream channels. If your speed tier is such that, you know, maybe you only have a three meg upstream speed tier for that subscriber, they're probably never going to notice. But maybe if you have four upstream channels and you're trying to give that subscriber, you know, 50 megabits or 100 megabits upstream speed tier, not downstream, upstream speed tier, then they may notice because suddenly instead of having four upstream channels, they only have three upstream channels. So they're they're going to lose some speed in the upstream. And we we have a, what I call a Band-Aid on the CMTS. It's called uh, Power Adjust Continue. That means the CMTS wants to see zero. But if I do a power power adjust continue of six, I'm giving myself a 6 dB window at the CMTS to say, even if you're maxed out in power, I'm going to let you stay online as long as you're between zero and minus six at the CMTS. So here's a case where maybe the modem doesn't go to partial mode, but because it's maxed out in power and can't transmit any higher for that last upstream channel, and it's hitting the CMTS at minus five, the CMTS will allow it to stay online. But what do you think's happened to the MER? Yep. Instead of being at zero, it's at minus five, so it's close to the noise floor. So it's going to so MER is going to get worse. Worse MER. Yep. Worse MER. All right. So Kai had a follow up on uh, on the power question here. Uh, so so are you saying? So this goes back to the one megahertz uh, transmit question. Are you saying that the upstream transmit levels displayed in the modem web UI? So this is in like the cable modem when you log into the cable modem screen. And the internal MIBs, so if you query a modem via SNMP, are also scaled. For a DOCSIS 3.1 modem, yes. But not a DOCSIS 3.0 modem. Correct. Yeah, so this gets into things can get really confusing. And so yeah. you may have to scale these things for yourself in order to get equivalent reporting between a DOCSIS 3.0 modem and a DOCSIS 3.1 modem. But you would think the GUI or the web page for the modem would actually say 1.6 equivalent somewhere. Depends on who's making the modem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of variables here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, let's, we got a couple more questions coming in. Let's hit these before we move on. So uh, Gary Wright is saying, you've mentioned that OFDMA and RFOG do not play nice. What about with a long run between a node transmitter and a hub site, say 30 miles? Have you run into this, John? Is this something we've experienced mm-hmm. before? With still talking about RFOG or yeah, just, this is uh, this is with RFOG. So I 
I mean, I think we're talking about here having a um, an RFOG device and a, a long run transmitter. Um, this this doesn't seem. I mean, I think this is looking at uh, from the head end to maybe the RFOG node. So I'm not sure this really gets into that interference that you would have between the ONU on the house and the RFOG node itself, right? I mean, the the problem with OFDMA is um, we allocate upstream based on a mini slot of OFDMA time, which turns out to be 400 kilohertz. If you did 96 megahertz, the biggest OFDMA block, and you cut it up into 400 kilohertz mini slots, you could potentially have 237 modems all transmitting at the same instant in time because the CMTS would allocate you a mini slot, you a mini slot, you a mini slot. And now every one of those homes, the laser comes on and there you have OBI. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not something that's going to work. Uh, so I have no idea what they mean by a longer link unless there's only one device. If it's only one device, why would it be our fog? Yes. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm confused by that one. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> better start screening no one's, those ones better. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Jesus says, uh, why do DOCSIS 3.1 modems uh, can't do traffic when bonded on OFDMA, while one regular carrier and OFDMA? Uh, Jesus, you have to give us some clarification there because I'm, I'm not sure uh, what he's asking. John, do you? Why do 3.1 modems, why can't they do traffic when bonded on OFDMA and one regular carrier? And not clear. All right, we'll, we'll move on. And uh, Kai... oh, so, he's, so he's bonding on uh, single carrier Qualm and OFDMA, which we recommend because, yes. at least for Cisco, we push voice traffic to a single carrier Qualm at this point. We don't put voice over the OFDMA yet. Smartly. It's easier to control jitter and latency on the single carrier Qualm. So we definitely recommend cross bonding a single carrier Qualm with OFDMA. And if you're saying you're not getting traffic, it's probably your OFDMA is bad because the 3-1 modem also prioritizes traffic on the OFDMA before it starts bleeding over to the single carrier qualm yes. for regular best effort traffic. So if you have a problem with the OFDMA channel for some reason, um, it's going to be exacerbated for the fact that we prefer that channel before we go to single carrier qualm. What you want to happen is the OFDMA to say, hey, I'm having uncorrectable effect, go to partial mode, and the modem drops down to the single carrier qualm only. Yeah, so, hey, so you see our episode, uh, two episodes ago, where we covered a lot more on OFDMA troubleshooting there. Uh, and then Kai, uh, he's just confirming that he has two modems, an ARIS TM822 and a DOCSIS 31CM8200 side-by-side, and they're, they're reporting on the UI and MIBS, uh, the physical layer measurement of RF power within a dB of each other. So that's, that's actually good information. Uh, Derek, good to hear your trans- your, uh, uh, writing in from California. And Green, good to hear you back on here again. Uh, so he has an RFOG and OFDMA question. Will it work when using a OBI-free multi-mode receiver, or will there still be issues? So these are these are vendors that have um, multi-mode uh, transmitters, receivers, and I, th- I think they that's an interesting question because I, I think John, have you seen they, if- they they make some device that you have to pay for that helps control OBI, and the, I don't know if it synchronizes the laser somehow, uh, but it's supposed to eliminate. Uh, optical bead interference. I, I even thought if if all your homes had different wavelengths, then 
they wouldn't overlap because it's not the same wavelength. And that's how I understood these these different wavelength uh, ONTs or ONUs that go, they each have, like each house gets a different wavelength. You can have like 32 homes on an RFOG or 64 homes. There's like 32 wavelengths or 64 wavelengths. So in that case, it would make sense that it should work in theory. Yeah, but most of the time, that's not how RFOG works, right? (laughs) Most of the time it's 1550 downstream and 1310 upstream or, or 1410 upstream. Yeah, but I think that's standard RFOG. I think these are each yeah. each house gets its own wavelength. If I understand these the, the way this this yeah. vendor does, and, that. It, and if that's the case, then you're different wavelengths. You don't have to worry about it. You should never uh, have. Collisions. I think you take a hit on your MER, even though it's different wavelengths. I think you still take a hit on the MER because the one receiver has to you know demodulate all those different wavelengths and take them all in. So I think yeah. you take a hit on the MER, but it doesn't just crash, crash and burn. Uh, here's the problem that we ran into with this is, and this is an interesting one. The ONU, ONT, whatever you call it, at the house, it wants to see a certain upstream level. Right. If the the cable modem is doing 400 kilohertz, we do upstream levels of OFDMA. Remember I just told you we report based on 1.6. Right. But OFDMA registration is based on 6.4 to to dictate that adjustment or uh, negotiate. 6.4 megahertz, not 1.6. Yeah, if you take 6.4 divided by 0.4, 10 times the log of that, it ends up being about 12 dB off. So the power level from the modem hitting your own ONT is like 12 dB lower than what it really wants to see from a single carrier qualm. Right. And so you and may not have enough power RFOG. level to turn the laser on to send the signal to the RFOG device. Exactly. So that that's the problem we're seeing with OFDMA is – not even turning the upstream laser on. Right. All right. Whether or not the ONT manufacturer can set a lower level, but if you set a lower level, now all noise can turn it on too. That was the whole point of having a certain level, like a Zener diode or something, that when it saw a level, it would turn on. If you lower the level just to just for OFDMA, what happens when regular noise comes in? It's going to keep turning on. Yep. Yeah, all right. It's it's a conundrum. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for the great questions. Uh, please do hit that subscribe and the notification bell. And if, if you like everything, give us that thumbs up. We'll really appreciate it. Um, with that, we'll get back to the jo- slides, John. Um, yeah, and you continue on. <laughs> the John slide. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, and I have no problem, Brady, you putting us on the website and let people download it and, and read it on their own. We already talked about some of this, the dynamic range window. And it turns out the 3.0 DRW is more of a plus six, minus six, looking at each single carry qualm, each RF channel. Whereas uh, DOCSIS 3.1 is not quite the same. So I have some slides at the end that kind of explain DOCSIS 3.1. And I think we're finding there's more problems when modems are near the very high end, like maxed out, because you can't do plus six above max. You can obviously do minus six below max, but where is that DRW now? If I'm already at max of whatever that max power is, um, is it 12 dB down from that? And it turns out it's not. Uh, and that that's part of the concern with DOCSIS 3.1. If you run it all the way up at the high end of max power, you could have more DRW alarms. And there's three different alarms, which I'll explain later uh, near the end of the slide. So Broadcom, has three different alarms, and a couple of them are really just kind of uh, alerting you. 
They're not really a problem, but it's uh, more benign, if you will. And you'll tell us later on where those alarms actually show up? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so continue on. Next slide. So I already mentioned there's no upstream AGC, so we have to rely on the cable modem and CMTS to keep negotiating uh, levels. By the way, I wanted to add in that that station maintenance um, is usually every 30 seconds, but when you have four upstream channels, there's a T4 multiplier of four. That means the station maintenance is not going to be every 30 seconds. Um, the, the T4 timeout on the modem is going to be 30 times four, so that's 120 seconds. That's two minutes. Uh, but the station maintenance from the CMTS to talk to the cable modem, to update pre-queue, update levels, update time offsets, update uh, MER ratings for upstream, yep. uh, that's going to be four times 20 so four times 20, that's 80 seconds. And why is it four it, times 20 again? A four, 20 seconds being the time that we're doing that station, station maintenance. maintenance. Yep. And four and 20, and, for every once for every upstream channel that we have. Yep. So it was 80 seconds. So you can sit there and watch the cable modem and you could change a pad on the upstream or whatever. And the cable modem transmit level might not change for 80 seconds because it's still waiting for its, its uh, station maintenance. Right. And, but we also take advantage of that because it gives us the ability. We can take out a pad and we have that 80 seconds and the modem will still stay online and put before yes. that and, and have the ability to put that pad back in. And actually, it'll, it'll be 30 times four for the cable modem's perspective of going offline. Because the so dog's spec is 30 seconds, right? Yeah, you, and, and you could pull the coax off of a cable modem. And if it was doing four channel upstream bonding, you'll see the downstream lock for two minutes. Why two minutes? Two minutes. Four, four times. Four times four thirty times is uh, 30. two minutes. Yeah, four times thirty. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and and just for clarification, station maintenance is the whole process that we're talking about of of ranging of of the CMTS. Yep. That's that long loop gain control that we talked about at the very beginning. That's the same as station maintenance. Correct. All right. All right. So continue on. Um, uh, oh, I wanted to point out, if you are doing OFDMA, because we talked about this session being about troubleshooting as well, if you look at OFDMA on a spectrum analyzer, it can be very confusing of what you see, because one, at least from Cisco's side, we schedule traffic from left to right in spectrum. So unless you have a lot of traffic on the OFDMA, you might see it just spiking up at the lower end of the OFDMA and never coming up at the higher end because you didn't go to 80% or 90% utilization. So if you really want to look at a spectrum analyzer to try, kind of eyeball the levels, you really need to fill it up with traffic. Um, and, and Don't we have that same issue with SC qualm in the upstream if you have just very really. little traffic that takes, you have to do like a max hold on the spectrum analyzer in order to, to see a really good haystack? But, but what people don't understand with spectrum analyzer, it's an optical illusion, right? You have an RBW, resolution bandwidth filter, scanning across your screen. Mm -hmm. If the typical is 30 kilohertz wide or 300 kilohertz wide, you're only capturing 300 kilohertz as a t at a time as the filter scans across the screen. So if you put it on max hold and zoom in on a single carrier qualm, it'll fill up once you get traffic. And actually fill up very quickly too. But if you do an OFDMA, regardless of how much time you have max hold on, it might only fill up the left side. Right. Because you're only, right because as you said, you're only allocating traffic into the 
lower portion of the OFDM And you're doing subcarriers. And you'll, so even the filter of the spectrum analyzer scanning across, we're never scheduling anything on these subcarriers up in the higher frequency on the OFDMA. A lot of people don't understand on the single carrier qualm, they see these little spikes on the spectrum analyzer. That's not what's really happening. The whole single carrier qualm is going up and down. We're only capturing little slices. Because the spectrum analyzer slides through. Yes. Because it sweeps. The spectrum analyzer yes. sweeps through the f- frequency yes. band from 5 to 100 megahertz or whatever you set as your start yes. and stop frequency in the spectrum analyzer. And it is it slides through or sweeps through the, the DOCSIS haystack, as, as we like to call yes. it. It's going to sweep through and only capture what it sees, what traffic it sees as it's sweeping through. So, so how do you capture the entire channel? That's where spectrum analysts have well, FFT, right? right? They do some kind of Fourier transform. They capture the whole burst and they show it. Right. That, so and that's, that's the more that's the more advanced spectrum analyzers that we have today, yes. where they have an analog to digital to converter that can capture the whole thing. Where the the newer ones aren't sweeping like the older old older school spectrum analyzers did a Correct. sweep, which I think could be the recommendation if you really want to capture an OFDMA power level is to be able to do an FFT of the whole thing. Right. And that would give you a more accurate reading of where my level is, you know, because if you're trying to eyeball the level on a spectrum analyzer at 10 per division, uh, you know, and it, it's, it could be anywhere. And now you're making assumptions that aren't true. But I think what you're, what you're said is really important because there's a lot of techs out there that still use spectrum analyzers to look at the return sweep spectrum, swept spectrum, spectrum analyzers. And so they're never going to see that OFDMA channel fill up, fill up, and they're going to be scratching their heads like, why am I not seeing, you know, whatever bandwidth that they may have for their OFDMA channel? They're not going to yeah. see it fill up. And until, to your point, unless they actually fully load, you know, maybe uh, ideally if they have a lot of subscribers, they'll fully load that OFDMA channel. Otherwise, they may have to generate their own traffic in order to see the OFDMA channel get fully populated. Agreed. So I kind of wanted to point that out um, of, you know, trying to eyeball levels on an old spectrum analyzer. And it might be, um, I guess, encouraged to use a newer spectrum analyzer or understanding what you're looking at or generate traffic yep. from a 3-1 modem just so you can kind of fill it up. All right. All right. Move on. Uh, I think next slide. Yep. Next slide was. Uh, I'll keep I just had to right, get back on the slide there. Slideshow. Here we go. So, so this is kind of my tongue-in-cheek uh, response. If how do we get around uh, these temperature problems, coax problems? Is one we get rid of coax? <laughs> so obviously we're not going to get rid of coax, but we are trying to get less coax, right? We're trying to get fiber as deep as possible. Fiber is not affected by temperature. Um, the other tongue in cheek was move to a more stable environment. These are, yeah, these are just so like easy solutions, John. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Move your plant to Florida or somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Maybe it's too, it's actually too hot there anyway. But, um, if you had underground cable, I mean, that would actually stabilize it. Uh, if you weren't using black jacketed aerial cable, that wouldn't be as you know, that's part of the problem, right? Sun loading of black jacketed aerial cable. Yeah, while we're and at it, why don't we just get rid of all of our subscribers as well? And that'll be also <laughs> one less problem. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you know, you and I won't disagree that uh, in a greenfield, you do fiber to the home and be done with it. Yep. But we're talking about how do we make cable plants work today? 
Yeah. How do we live with what we got? Right. It's brownfield. Um, We're not ripping and replacing stuff. We're trying to keep milking this cow as long as we can, which is basically what everyone tries to do. So I, I bring up what can I do to tighten up the modem transmit levels, the wind, the window, the tilt, what can I do to make the, the, the motor transmit hotter to get better MER and maybe add attenuation on low value taps to drop the noise from those houses or get rid of attenuation on high value taps so they're not really too high causing max transit level issues. So the fix there is new taps. It's flexible solution taps that are condition taps with equalizers and cable simulators in them. And don't buy the ones that have some type of filter in it and a frequency roll-off. I wouldn't get a tap that was 54 to 1 gigahertz with a built-in tilt. I would get it from 5 to 1.2 gigahertz and be done with it. I don't want to have to um, adjust or take care of another diplex filter that happens to be in my tap. Because that's basically what those those taps are that say, oh, yeah, we have tilt from 54 to 1 gig. Yeah, and and so this is going to eighty five megahertz tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to say this is a time, especially if you're thinking about going to eighty five megahertz, to really invest in these flexible solution taps to make sure that you're future proofing your your system. Yeah, so so I'm a realist, and I also realize that if I already have a, a bunch of taps, I can't afford to change them. I think a field equalizer somewhere mid span could help me out tremendously. So if I can't afford to change out my my 11 or my 14, my 11, and my 4 dB tap, maybe if I put a field equalizer mid-span right on the left side of my 14 dB tap with an equalization in there, it can give some relief to all the modems off the 14, 11, 8, and 4 dB tap. Yep. You, know, you understand? So you don't have to replace every tap in your plant. You just may have to put these right. in certain locations in order to balance things out. Yep. Yep. So, so modems that are off these low value taps are usually low value taps is more coax because that's why it's a low value tap because it went through more coax. Uh, by putting a field equalizer in, all those modems that might have had five dB of tilt, maybe now they're negative one tilt because I have that field equalizer making up for all of them downstream. And, and so now you're reducing your dynamic range window into a, a much more manageable window and, and keeping away from that that 12 dB range that you, that you want yeah. to stay far away from. Yep. And then not only that, by forcing some attenuation at lower frequencies, those modems off the 4 dB tap that might be transmitting 35 now are transmitting 40. Right. you added 5 dB loss at the lower frequencies. What's the drawback well, of using a, an FST, a flexible solution tap? Money. Money? <laughs> Cost. Yeah. Installation, I guess, right? Yep. I mean, that's it. But if it, no you know, if it reduces call. troubleshooting, it reduces customer calls, there's a lot of benefits then. Correct. I, I guess you could say, well, what if I have to balance amplifiers? Do I now have to balance taps? I would say that's part of the design. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's the part of the cost of doing business. Because it's you pull the faceplate off and it would have a plug-in, plug-in device. What if the technician puts the wrong device in? That could be the pitfall, right? Now that can happen in an amplifier as well. Exactly. <laughs> like it might say, oh, I'll put a 5 EQ. They put a 5 inverse EQ. Yes. Now they're going worse. the opposite direction. <laughs> you make things worse. <laughs> All right, thermal issues. Yeah, so thermal issues, like I said, it's, it's a lot 
worse than you would think when we look at black jacketed sun loaded cable the rule of thumb is over 40 degrees above ambient temperature so if it's 100 degrees out that coax could be 140 degrees i know it's one percent one percent change in attenuation for every 10 degree delta from 70. so from 70 to 140 is 70 divided by 10 is seven increments so seven percent now if the coax was this is the thing that saves us is low frequency is low low loss right mm-hmm. so at 42 megahertz if i went through five spans of cable and drop cable it could be 20 db of total coax seven percent of 20 db is 1.4 db that's and, not too bad right two db and, swing and you're focusing mostly here on the on solar loading right on the on the black yeah. and you're picking on black jacketed coax because it's it, it absorbs the light the most it's going to heat up the coax the most yep so it's going to heat it up more it's going to cause more attenuation so in one regard that kills us on the max transmit level issues right the good news is most of the modems that are in max transmit are off of high value taps and they don't have a lot of coax yes because they're right at the amplifier so that's the good news, right? What's the bad news? The bad news is what happens on the opposite side of this? What happens when um, it gets cold out and it's 20 degrees instead of 70 and the attenuation drops? Now, the modems transmit lower level, which is okay. Mm-hmm. But what happens to the noise from all the houses? The noise is going to stay the same, right? It stays the same, but the coax has less attenuation, so the CMTS sees a higher noise floor. And now our MER goes down, for or our Correct. SNR, depending on what you call it. Yeah, MER, SNR, CNR. Basically, the CMTS sees the same level of zero, but the noise floor is fluctuating because of hot and cold. Mm-hmm. So if I can keep the attenuation higher on the lower frequencies with equalization or conditioning that's actually better for everybody yes not just the modems off the low value taps it's dropping the noise funneling effect from the low from from the low value taps now how's it drop how's a lot of the the noise funneling how are you saying we're actually making you know reducing noise funneling you're adding attenuation to the low value taps which is where most of the noise is coming from in the first place. And that's, that's you're really forcing, important. Yeah, you're forcing higher transmit levels, but the real benefit is you're dropping the noise from those low-value taps. So even the modems off of high-value taps are seeing a lower noise floor because you're eliminating or attenuating more from the lower-value taps. Yep. That's where most of the noise is coming from. And, and for any— Because it's easier to for, for any first-time listeners, noise funneling, you know, every subscriber's house, you can imagine, is just a source of noise. And that noise continues to gather together as it heads towards the CMTS. And once everyone's noise from every subscriber's house reaches the CMTS, that's why we call it noise funneling, because it just continues to combine and combine and combine and funnel all the way to that port, the F connector on the CMTS. So... Uh, what John's talking about is if you can basically attenuate the noise from low-value taps, 
you're going to have less noise funneling. And noise impacts every subscriber's modems, not just the noise that's coming from one subscriber's house. That noise will impact all of your modems, all of your subscribers on that node that goes back to the CMTS. So, you know, we're always fighting noise. The, the um, more we can attenuate, yeah, better, the, the better our jobs will get. Sometimes when you look at a spectrum analyzer and you see in the head end the noise floor is tilted, it could be a couple of different things. It could be impulse noise, electrical noise. It could be someone didn't balance the amplifiers correctly, so it's a tilted noise floor. And it also could be tilting up and down because of temperature. So you could slowly see it go up a little bit more at the lower frequencies when it's cold out. But when it's hot out, there's more attenuation coax, so the lower frequencies could actually drop a little bit, right? which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's funny how all this stuff works in the thermal aspect of it. And, you know, do we have to look into upstream AGC if we're going to go past 204? If we go to DOCSIS 4.0 and go to 396, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a challenge. We have a lot of attenuation yeah. at uh, the higher frequencies because the higher in frequency you go, the more attenuation you have in coax. Yep. And the more temperature swing you have. Because it's a percentage. Yeah. A percentage of a higher number is a higher number. <laughs> yeah, and then and Gary Wright makes a good uh, point on the channel is that if the noise is forcing OFDMA, so you know we talk about running OFDMA at higher frequencies, uh, if it forces the lower to lower modulation, you're losing the benefits of why you're deploying OFDMA in the upstream in the first place. Yeah, so. that's the whole reason why I say don't bother putting OFDMA from five to fifteen. Yes, I'm like people are trying to squeak out a little bit of that spectrum, and it's like it's like one step forward, two steps back. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I would rather just put my OFDMA in the cleanest spectrum, make the highest modulation, to get the higher speed. Correct. That's what that's the goal anyway. All right. So extended power ECN. Is yeah. That so the good news is there are a lot of three O modems on the market that have extended power that add three DB to what the original spec was. So instead of uh, stopping at 51 DBMV per channel for four upstream channel bonding, it might be 54. DOCSIS 3.1 is the other good side of this. Like we just talked about how going from a three O modem to a three one modem can really screw up your reporting because you're not used to that difference in reporting based on 1.6. The good news is the three one modem has a lot more power. Yeah, so and if I, you do have a max power level issue with the three O modem, and you replace it with a three one modem, it should fix it right and, away. And I've had some people ask me because I've made the statement that you know get a three one modem instead of a three O modem if you're getting it because it will perform better than a three O modem. And and this is one of the reasons exactly why three you know three one modems have more transmit power. They're they're actually the chipsets are designed better or they have a better design ultimately than a 3.0 modem. So there's a number of reasons that you, if you're getting a modem or thinking about getting a modem, get a 3.1 modem. Here's one exact reason why. More transmit yeah. power. Yeah, if you're if you're in a situation where you are at max transmit, uh, 3.1 modem's going to give you uh, 5 to 8 dB more power than what the 3.0 modem did. Yep. I wrote down there in the slides that it's 5 dB more power than an equivalent Eight channel upstream bonding three O modem. Correct. So, so it's, uh, it's you know we needed more power because we're going to go to two O four eventually. So that power level is going to drop when we do more channels, um, and th and that's the whole point of having more power. But if we're relegated to forty two megahertz, man, we got like eight dB more power than three O modem. Yeah. 
Well, more power is better. That's why my stereo goes to 11. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so here is the aha moment with me looking at high value taps and low value taps and a typical modem transmitting. So here I'm showing four single carrier qualms, all 6.4 megahertz wide. And it's a 3.0 modem at this house location, transmitting 48, 48, 48.5, 49. So I'm showing tilt from the modem just because of frequency. And then I said, well, what if you start adding a fifth or sixth upstream channel and one channel is 3.2 megahertz and the other channel is 1.6. And you can see that the power levels are 48, 48, 49, 50. Now, the reason why I put 50 for the last channel is because it's in the roll-off of the diplex filter. So it has so to transmit higher to, to overcome that attenuation of the diplex filter. And notice that the power level doesn't matter what the channel width is. We keep the same average power regardless of channel width, which is could be different for different CMTS vendors. Right. Now... Look at off a low value tap. So if we keep continuing on, on a low value tap, we're going to have more tilt, but we're not going to have max power issues. So keep going. You just notice on a low value tap, it might be 34, 34, 35, 36. There's two dB of tilt, but it's much lower level. So we're not worried about being maxed out. If I add a fifth or sixth channel, Things now, change. you know, at the very low end, I'm at 33, at the very high end, I'm at 38. That's 5 dB tilt right there. Oh, just in a 42 five. megahertz plant. Yeah, that's just 42 megahertz, right? Yep. Now, here is the conundrum. When I take this location and I go to a DOCSIS 3.0 modem, so go to the next slide, and we're going to start off with the 3.0 modem. What we had before. And remember the levels were yep. 48, 48. When we go to a DOCSIS 3.1 modem, the 6.4 channels are going to report 6 dB lower because they're going to be based on 1.6. So it's going to report 42, 42, 42.5, 43. It's 6dB lower than what the 3.0 modem did. Right. Now, what happens when we add a fifth and sixth upstream channel? And remember the levels we had were 48 up to 50? Yep. Let's convert that to 3.1 modem, what it would report. It's going to report 45, 42, 42, 42, 50. That's a huge difference. Because... We kept the 1.6 channel at 50 because it was already 1.6. There's no correction factor. Right. It's still at 50. But the 6.4 drops 6 dB because we want to report based on 1.6, and now it's 42. So we're so from 42 to 50, that's 8 dB out of, out of your window. 12 dB. And we're still, again, we're still only in our 42 megahertz return. We've not even looked at the 85 megahertz and how that's going to change. So here was my, this was the aha epiphany was if you're using narrow single carrier qualms, it's going to screw us up on our DRW with 3.1 modems. 3.0 modems, no problem. 3.1 modems, big problem. Totally different story because we're reporting based on 1.6 and the DRW is based on 1.6. Correct. So what's your recommendation then? So this Get rid of narrow carriers. Yep. Really, uh, so the DRW is all the channels that the modem is using in its TCS, transmit channel set. If you want to do a narrow carrier for set-top box by itself, that's fine. 
But as soon as you put that narrow carrier in a bonding group and let that modem use it, now we have issues. Hmm. Like if I put a narrow carrier at the low end and four carriers at the high end and I only bond the four upstream carriers of 6.4, no problem. But as soon as I include that 1.6 in with the 6.4s, there's my issue. Now, why would people use narrow carriers to begin with? What's the value there? Um, because when we do same average power, if you look at a spectrum analyzer, a 1.6 will be 60 be higher MER than a 6.4. Yes. That's one reason. Um, the other reason might be spectrum allocation. You, you don't, don't need a big channel yeah. for DSG. Just add a band, right? It's just it's for your set top boxes, signal. for maybe legacy modems. You want to have your 2.0 modems still be able to. You have very few 2.0 modems, but hey, we still want to keep those online, maybe because they're for power supplies uh, or set top yeah. boxes or things That's like that. Right? So let's use that 1.6 because I do see 1.6 megahertz being deployed specifically for those 2.0 modems that are still out there. So let's keep going. So I, I give some recommendations on on how I think this will go forward. Looking at the 3.1 modem doing OFDMA, I'm not having a real, real issue here because the OFDMA is negotiated based on 6.4, just like the 6.4 single carrier qualm. Power levels so look great. Even though, yeah, so the levels look good, the tilt isn't bad, and it's all based also on the initial ranging frequency of that OFDMA. Typically, that initial ranging frequency might be about one-third up from the bottom edge. But you have the capability to move that initial ranging frequency. Right. Like if I put my IR, initial range frequency, right at 42, this OFDMA might report 43 dBmV and not 42. Correct. Because so, I moved it up so much further on the roll-off and stuff like that. Yeah. So go to the next slide. Let's see where we're at here. So this was looking at a low-value tap. We know in a low-value tap, we have more tilt. So looking at DOCSIS 3.1 modem, it's reporting uh, based on 1.6. And if you go to the next uh, next one, when I looked at a 3.2 megahertz wide channel, four 6.4s, and one 1.6, now it's reporting uh, 20, what do I have, 29, there's a 28 and a 38. So you're 10 dB out of your 12 dB window. Yeah. Exactly. So my point here was on a low value tap, my tilt's going to be worse. And if you're doing narrow carriers, your DRW is getting even closer. Yeah, you're almost seeing it up. So Yeah, and this is just 42 megahertz, right? Yeah. So my recommendations is the next build. Uh, hit the enter button again. So you'll see that the recommendation would be get rid of the narrow carriers or don't put the narrow carriers in the bonding group. Let it be by itself if you're going to steer devices to it. Uh, keep narrow carriers in the lower spectrum. Remember, the carriers at the higher end require more power. So if I were to put that 1.6 in the lower end, instead of 38, it might have reported 36. Right. And now 28 to 36 is only, what, 8 dB instead of 10 dB. It's a better, it's an improvement, but not huge. <laughs> yeah, not huge. Uh, the other option is you could manipulate the CMTS receive config. Instead of having zero for all your channels, I could say, well, the 1.6 is already higher. So I could say instead of zero for the 1.6 channel, I can set it to minus three. Mm-hmm. 
with the understanding you're getting three to be less MER. Yes, it's still you're you're still eating into your DRW. Correct. All right. So uh, so Kai is saying uh, you know they're using a 1.6 megahertz channel for their TDMA and it's sitting at 10.4 megahertz. So um, you know again probably used for their return for something and followed by 3.2 and four 6.4 megahertz channels. Very similar to what your drawing is, uh, John. So they do not use bonding groups larger than four upstream channels to save those 3 dB transmit levels. That's a good point, too. As soon as you go past four upstream channels, your max transmits drops by 3 dB, yep. whether you do five upstream, six, seven, or eight. So as soon as you go past four, you lose another 3 dB in your max transmit. So if he's using a 1.6 and a 3.2 and four 6.4s, he must be a 65 megahertz system. Yes. Because he's not fitting that in a 42 <laughs> megahertz plant. Um, and because he says he doesn't do more than four channel upstream bonding, I assume, I don't know what he's doing with the 1.6 and 3.2. Does that mean he's doing a four channel overlapping with a four channel overlapping with like doing overlapping bonding groups? You yeah. Know? Well, the, the 1.6 might be used again for like set top boxes or yeah. something. But he said TMA only, which that that's why I'm assuming they're two O modems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Docs is one, one modem still. Oh yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean that's one way to do it because uh, then the only devices that would use it would be the uh, Doxus One X devices. Because once you call ATDMA, there's a MAC management MAC message twenty nine that's sent to the modems, and and one O modems would never try to range on your ATDMA channels. Well, he says he's fitting that into forty two megahertz, so they're squishing them tight together. And, well, he's at ten point four, right? Yeah, so all the way down into the noise. He's way down low. All right, um, DRW again. Um, so we, I mentioned about the initial ranging. Um, that is going to affect my DRW as well. Uh, where did I put my initial ranging frequency in the OFDMA? Is it at the beginning or at the end, which is spectrum uh, relevant? Um, let's see. So supposedly 3.0 modems have more flexibility for their DRW because they're looking at per channel, whereas 3.1 modems, it's looking at all the channels uh, for this DRW. And that's, I think, causing some of this uh, th these problems with DRW more so on 3.1 modems versus 3.0. I'll go to the next slide. And I, and I think that's what we've been talking about. DRW is something that's really, we're, we're more looking at DOCSIS 3.1 and, and more important, well, I mean, as you showed with even with a 42 megahertz, we can we can really come close to hitting that 12 dB window. But I think things have to be wonky in the plant. This is much yeah. more for maybe an 85 megahertz plant. Correct. And what I wanted to point here is that last bullet point. There are three types of DRW violations for 3.1 modems. These are the alarms you talked about. List those three violations and which ones are most important. So here they are. So, yeah, so we've got the type one... Um, Let's reg see. response MP. Yeah, so the reg response MP mismatch between the calculation value, uh, uncommon. So some of my engineers wrote back to me and said they haven't seen this one as much. Uh, type two. So this is just the range response where we're exceeding the the power. Yeah, this I would be the more two, common one, right? Yeah, type two is more common, um, and you're getting close to the max power and top of the DRW window. 
Uh, indicate CMTS sent range response with commanded power for one or more channels exceeding the DRW max. So one of the channels is getting outside my 12 dB window, and that's going to be a, a type 2 response. And type 3 sounds more like it's uh, uh, the lower end, and possibly you're trying to set up a modem in the lab, set it up in the head end without proper attenuation, right. and the modem's actually transmitting on the lower end of the scale, like 20 dBmV instead of 40, uh, and then that could cause problems on the low end. Which means and the modem seems to has, be a benign. Yeah, the modem that has too low of transmit power rather than too high of transmit power. Correct. So these these three these are the three message types. I think number two is is the one that's becoming more prevalent of being an, an actual issue. Right. Meaning that I've exceeded my twelve dB DRW and the modem's not going to register properly in the bonding group I wanted it to. Okay. And closing points, John. So um, larger OFDMA channels will have the same MER as a 6.4 megahertz single carry qualm, but it will have max power issues when you get wider. Meaning if you look at a spectrum analyzer at a 6.4 channel and an OFDMA, there'll be the same exact reference level on a spectrum analyzer regardless of the OFDMA width. Okay. So we base the power level on 6.4, but then we do something called power spectral density after that, meaning um, that full OFDMA, it's actually more total power than what you're reporting because uh, we base the negotiation on 6.4. And what do you consider a larger OFDM channel, OFDMA channel? 96. 96 megahertz. 48. Okay. 24. You know, the biggest upstream channel you can do is 96 megahertz. Yeah, but I, I didn't know if you, you know you were saying you, know, you could do a 6.4 megahertz OFDMA. I didn't know if if you if you considered what that threshold was. If it had to be 96 megahertz, but you said oh, it could also be 24 megahertz is a large OFDMA channel. And, and my right? point was, you know, a lot of people are used to seeing a single carrier qualm compared to each other, mm-hmm. and they all say, "Oh yeah, I, I totally understand that a 1.6 will be 60 dB higher than a 6.4, a 3.2 will be 3 dB higher than a 6.4." And then they're expecting the OFDMA, if it's twice as big as a 6.4, is it going to be 3 dB lower? Right. I'm like, no, well, it'll be the same exact reference level as a 6.4, regardless of how wide I make that OFDMA. Yeah, and that's, that's actually very good to know, because I, I think some people would expect, because they're, they're used to, like, if you go from a 3.2 megahertz upstream to a 6.4 mega, megahertz upstream, MER gets lower. But what yeah. you're saying is it's not. You can keep making that OFDMA channel wide and wide and wider and wider, but your MER is going to stay, stay the same. Correct. Your MER, CNR will stay the same. The only thing you're now doing is you're getting, you're using more power. And the 3.1 modem has a total power limit. So when you have a bigger, more spectrum, the max power is lower. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just want to point out that Kai said that he, they're seeing the type three errors that you pointed out in the field quite a bit. So, and I wonder, are those off of low value taps? Um, are they seeing them more off of low value taps? You know, are they do they seem to be transmitting the lower end? Um, huh. Well, let's see if Kai gets back to us on that. 
on where on like and, and, what and, modems you're seeing them on. Low value, high value taps are just all over the place. And it is, and he's the one with the 1.6 megahertz yep. wide channel too, right? Yeah, which he said those right. are those oh. are for Doxus one one modems, set uh, Doxus set top boxes. Yeah, but what about the 3.2? The 3.2 is probably in his bonding group. I don't know. We'll see if he gets back to us. Um, yeah. So closing points, init ranging so, on lower frequencies, middle or higher. Yeah, so this is kind of like a philosophical question. Where would I, like I put those. my initial range? Would I put it at the low end of the OFDMA and have less attenuation? Or would I put it at the high end to kind of get the worst case right from the from the get-go? You know, um, and, and right now the default is one-third up from the lower end. So here's where if I was doing OFDMA from 5 to 15, I definitely wouldn't put my IR, my initial ranging, at the low end. Right. I'd put my IR closer to 15. It's going to be very right? noisy. But if I was doing 5 to 85, my OFDMA was 42 to 85, I don't think I'd put my IR at 85, right? I'd probably put it, maybe keep it the one-third up, maybe at 50, you know? Maybe I'm concerned that if I'm doing 42 to 85, I don't want to put the IR at some weird frequency that might cause issues somewhere else. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that one's a, I'd, I'd probably keep it at the lower end. Uh, yeah, other points here, that initial ranging frequency is where levels are negotiated, and those levels are what's used for the DRW uh, uh, violation. Right. T4 multiplier, I brought up already. We talked about that. You know, the more channels you have uh, for the cable modem, whether it's bonding all the channels or what it locked on for upstream, uh, that's a T4 multiplier that will affect how quickly you get updates for MER, upstream level adjustment, pre-equalization information and updates, and also it affects, uh, um, what else would it be? Time offsets as well, if time offsets need to change. Yep. Other point I brought up was step attenuators and house filters. FSTs. Something else that I need to address if I decide to go above 42 megahertz. Because those devices probably have their own filters. Yep. Step attenuators are probably 42. House filters might be uh, passive reverse, but it might be a 54 downstream filter. All right. Is that one point, or did I have one more? Is that it? Uh, just one more. Yeah, FSTs yeah. are good. Yeah. yeah. And the last one was the FSTs, the flexible solution taps. Uh, doing condition taps or at least a field equalizer, I think will help tremendously for these DRW issues. I, I say caution advised for end of line designs. Um, I feel like when I go to 204 megahertz, I should build in a little bit more headroom on the modem transmit level to make up for temperature fluctuations because there is no upstream AGC. Right. But my point is, if I like 48 dBmV to be my, my optimum transmit level, I think 48 dBmV plus or minus three on the high-value taps, and once you get past about 25 dB of coax from the node or RPD all the way through all the amplifiers and coax, 25 dB at 204 megahertz, any tap past that point, I would design for 46 plus or minus two. Mm -hmm. So I would design it with a little bit more headroom and maybe a tighter window. 
And that would dictate my design for which taps I put in those locations. So you're going to optimize your DRW window there. You're going to help optimize your, your cable modem transmit and, and also your noise floor then. Correct. All right. And Kai did get back to us. He said uh, there, he's not sure about the tap values that are uh, where, where the transmit, but the transmit levels are very even within 2 dB of each other uh, where they're getting those type 3 errors out in the field. So he's saying... His transmit levels are within how many dB? Two b two dB of each other. But they're getting the errors. So, but are those levels already adjusted for channel width, or are those the levels based on one point six? I don't know. So uh, if he has a three point two and a six point four, we already know it's going to be three dB off. So that two dB difference could be five dB. Mm-hmm. Based on if they're not corrected for the 1.6 megahertz yeah. reference, so I know yeah. Kai said he sent us a, he's going to send me an email uh, with some uh, uh, screenshots. So I'll, we'll check those out later and uh, we'll sync up on those, John, and see if we can get some information. Okay. And we'll probably do another. We'll probably be doing some more <laughs> FDMA troubleshooting because this seems to be a pretty common thing. Um, yeah. But awesome, we got through these slides, John. Um, we're a little bit over. I don't know if you want to plug anything that's coming up for you. Um, uh, uh, I did submit to SCTE an abstract on 204. Yeah. Uh, how do we get there? I'm going to present that topic to uh, Southern California. I think there's like three chapters doing a, a, a group thing in May, uh, Southern California and, and somewhere else, um, maybe San Diego. Um, so a remote thing, I'm going to do it on the 204. How do I go to, from 85, you know, from 42 to 85 to 204? And what are the pitfalls and what can I do with it? And, and can I do an analog upstream laser? Do I have to do DAA? Could I use Comscope's new uh, EDR 204? Mm -hmm. uh, there's got to be pros and cons to everything, right? I mean, there always is. You know, what is the, is, what is the fidelity or dynamic range of those things? Will I be able to do 4K qualm in the upstream? I don't know. So it'll be interesting to uh, go through all these topics and, and talk about 204 because I think that's that makes sense to me because the CPE out in the field support 204. Right. 3.1 supports 204. Yep. And if I can do and 204. does too. Yeah, Dr. and I can do 1.2 gig on the downstream and be done with it for now. Um, and there's no need for me to push to 1.8 yet. Uh, the reason to push to 1.8 is because we want to go to 3.96 on the upstream. We you know, need more bandwidth. No actually. need to go to 1.8 if I'm going to stop at 204 for now. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, so that's the type of stuff that's going on with me right now. I I'm suspect we're going to submit something for Anga. Uh, Anga in Germany um, is going to be all digital this year if it still assume it still happens. And I think it's in June. Um, Expo is in October in Atlanta. It's supposed to be live, so that'll be cool. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. Well, I, I also submitted two. I submitted two abstracts for Expo this year. So, uh, yeah, be back. Maybe talking. We'll see. And then uh, Light Reading is having uh, a a online. Uh, it's going to be virtual. Uh, April. I think it's April twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Uh, those those dates. Are, I think those are the correct dates. So I'll be doing a panel there on Doxis three one, talking about low latency OFDMA. Uh, you know, the popular topics nowadays. So join us then. See that. 
otherwise, I think we can call it a wrap, John. Thanks, everyone, in the chat room for joining us. We enjoyed your contributions today. Uh, I think Kai was the winner with uh, the most contributions. So thanks, Kai, for chi chiming in and giving us lots of good information. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll be back in, uh, in a couple of weeks with uh, another topic, another live stream. So thanks, everyone, for joining. John, thanks so much. Great presentation. We will, uh, we will upload it and make it available to everyone on volpfirm.com uh, broadband events. So thanks, everyone. Tune in next time. Have a good weekend.